You are now entering Nowhere, California. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast sites like iTunes by searching Nowhere, California. A reminder, Nowhere, California podcast is our old feed, so please subscribe to Nowhere, California, our new feed. Also, you can get your Nowhere, California fix online by going to our official website, NowhereCalifornia.com, and emailing us at Nowhere underscore California at Yahoo.com. Ideas from everywhere, voices from nowhere since 2011. Welcome to Nowhere California Presents, our conversation with Joe Grisafi. Hey everybody, it's Josh, and uh, well, like I said, this is a Nowhere California Presents. This time around, we are talking to Joe Grisafi. He is a writer, director, actor, guy's done a lot of stuff. And we do our usual with this conversation, talk about his career and different projects and just the thought processes of their life. It's as simple as that. But also, too, there was a hidden agenda on this uh, conversation because I had to ask him about a certain movie called Conjoined. We were exposed to the movie Conjoined through Chuck Norfolk, the director of Getting Schooled. Conjoined is a movie that Chuck and his brother wrote. Joe directed it. And I wanted to pick his brain about this weird, interesting movie that is available in Atari 2600 form, too. I'll, I'll give you a moment to think about that. Anyways, I'm going to keep these intros short because I never like doing them, to be honest, and I don't know really the best way to intro these conversations because the conversations are a lot better than this. So anyways, here is my conversation with Joe Grisefi. We are now joined by Joe Grisefi. Oh, God, I did it. I knew I was going to do it. <laughs> uh, can you say your last name one more time for me, please? Grisefi. That It was in my head that way. It just did not come out that way. Yeah. Um, how's your day going? My day's going great. How about yourself? Uh, it's going good. Uh, I finished up work, and I'm here doing what I love to do is talking to creative uh, people. And I guess the best question to start out with is, uh, when did your creative passions begin? That, I actually had a conversation with my girlfriend last night about that. Um, it, I believe it started in junior high, but I wasn't really aware of it. Um, we went to see Willy Wonka last night to honor Gene Wilder's passing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching the movie, just getting all choked up and about not just him passing, but the film and my childhood and thinking, maybe this is where it actually started with that movie. Um, but in junior high, I remember uh, there was a radio show uh, that would accept uh, scripts, little skits, and I would write skits for the radio show, although they never got produced. They yeah. never used them, but I remember having an interest in writing, and my dad was a, a film buff, a, not a movie buff, but he always shot everything on, he shot a lot of stuff on 8mm film. So from an early age, I was exposed to film and projectors and that sort of thing. You... So it, it had its roots, its seeds um, in my early childhood, but I don't think it was until college where I really got the bug. And in college, is that when you uh, began acting? Yes, I began. I began acting. Maybe I think it was either my sophomore or junior year. I started taking acting classes and transferred my uh, degree to radio, television, film, and haven't looked back. That's awesome. And also, too, uh, with with your time in college, was that like when you decided, you know, what this is going to be the career path for me as acting and uh, like I guess theater productions. Yes, I. You know, I didn't listen to the warnings about how hard it was going to be. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be the one that makes 
Yeah, it's a very rare thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. No one knows. What I think um, helped me when I think about my process today and the films I've made since, I think having that, having shot my first short and my first feature on film really gave me a respect for the craft. And not just the craft, but, you know, people's time as well. You have to plan much better than you do when you have a digital camera and you can just wing it and throw away shots. You know, when you're shooting film, every second does count because every frame you hear go through the camera means you're spending money. So you have to have a plan when you show up to set, which I had meticulous plans for both of those films. Um, Something I see, I don't see a lot of young filmmakers doing these days. And that's unfortunate because uh, it just... it helps the process so much better when you have a plan. You don't have to stick to it, but you have to go in with an idea of what you're going to get done. Is that something that you'd uh, probably give advice to an upcoming filmmaker on, is just make sure that you stick to a plan, even with the the upgrade in digital technology? Well, go in with a plan, have a plan, have a shot list, know, know what you're going to do that day, but be flexible enough with that plan because you are going to get thrown curveballs no matter what. You can go in with the best plan and something's going to happen. Someone doesn't show up, a prop's not ready, a location has an issue. There's always something that makes you adjust that plan, but I think you do need to go in with a plan. And I, I learned to respect people's time when I had a plan. Um, you know, we, we, a lot of us do these things with no budget, so often we're not paying people or we're not paying them really what they deserve to be paid. And when that when I'm in that situation when I can't pay someone or if I'm doing a film and no one's getting paid, I really try to respect the cast and crew's time. And part of that respect is going in knowing what I want to accomplish that day and how I'm going to accomplish it so nobody's sitting around too long while decisions are being made. A decision has been made. It's just go in and execute it, you know? Yeah, definitely. And um, I guess from your acting life, uh, what led you to move behind the camera as you were talking about some of the short films that you've made? Well, um, just an interest in telling stories. You know, I I was hanging out with my friend Lonnie Reeves uh, in my my last couple of years of college, and Lonnie was an old school Hammer Films, classic Universal film buff. He knew everything about that era of film. And I really enjoyed... Uh, the storytelling process with him. He would, I would come up with an idea and he would make me sit down with him and we'd write screenplays. He wrote, he helped me write my first short film, Death and a Salesman, which he ended up starring in because he has that, when we were writing it, I was just like, you're it, this is you, you're this guy. Um, I just like the storytelling process and you have more control over that when you're a director, obviously, than you are as just an actor. Ultimately, what I'd like to see is myself uh, directing myself in other and future films. I've only done that once, and it was not okay. That would be Laughing Boy in 1998. I starred in it and directed myself. Um, I've made three features since then, which I have not appeared in. And there's uh, one feature that kind of led us to this conversation. And um, I, 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 if you want, uh, what led you to to the project for Conjoined? Oh, <laughs> I love this story. Um, my friend Bob Willems has a studio in, actually in my neighborhood, a production studio, and he's launching, he started a distribution company a few years ago, and he was launching a, a monthly uh, horror subscription service, and he needed content, and he told me, I don't 
care if it's good or bad content. Help me get some films. I just, right now, I just need volume to launch this service, which never launched. He's since launched a Roku channel that's not genre-specific. But that's how Conjoin got started. I said, oh, if quality is not really a concern and you just need content, let me make you a film. Let me use your studio. Let me make you a film. We'll do it as quickly as possible. We'll do the, we'll do the best we can, but if we know that it doesn't have to be good, and you'll still distribute it, that's a, a you know weight off our shoulders. So he said, okay. I called my friend Chuck Norfolk, who wrote and directed The Haunted Trailer, which I starred in. Yeah. Mama. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll be discussing that too. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Chuck, here's the deal. We have access to Bob's studio. We need a horror film, and it doesn't have to be a, a true horror film. It just has to be horror in the loosest sense of the word. So it can be under the horror umbrella, and it's all one location, and I want, you know, as few actors in it as possible. So he said, okay, let me think about that. And like four days later, he called me up and said, hey, we got a script. We had been working on him, <laughs> we being Chuck and his brother Tim Norfolk, uh, and it was called Something Strange. And it was a one location script, 59 pages, and I read it. And it was about the conjoined twins and one's a serial killer. And I really thought it was uh, funny. The thing is, I think he meant it was written to be a lot darker yeah. than we made it and more serious. And I said, no, I really, let me do this and let me make it a comedy. I don't think he really grasped the concept that I was thinking. But I think once he started seeing it unfold on set, because he was there every day. One, it was like a, it's so good that it's good. Um, if an actor quit, we'd replace him with whoever was available. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's, that's how that evolved. Yeah, it was an interesting watch because I met Chuck at uh, Days of the Dead this past year, watched his new movie, Getting School, and I was like, oh, I love this movie. And I did a review and everything for it, and he's like, I got another one for you to watch. And he, he, he got me to watch Conjoin. I'm like, I don't know how to wrap my mind around this movie. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's, we call it a horror film, and we made it look like, made the packaging look like it's a horror film, but it's really a comedy. Yeah, and like you said, um, you thought Chuck wanted uh, a little bit more darker and everything. I think uh, Conjoin, if it was darker and more of like a, uh, bare bones horror. I think it had been a detriment instead of the comedy that that it oh, came out to be. It was. I agree. If it, it, it was taken way too seriously and shot as a dark film and you know very meticulously, it wouldn't have worked as well as it did because it's such a ludicrous concept. Yeah, it seems and like a concept. Maybe, you, maybe if you had like a, a lot of money to make it really moody and all that, but um, we didn't. You know, we used sets that already existed we didn't build anything all the set pieces we used were from another film I really I took the Roger Corman approach what do we have what's already in the studio let's use that his best uh, rules to live by is Roger Corman's rules <laughs> it's, it was, it's a wonderful set of rules um, you may have noticed in the film that nobody walks through doors there are no doors oh yeah <laughs> and in the script there were doors but we didn't have a set piece for a door so say, you know what, we're not going to see anyone walk through a door. People just show up in the house. And you don't you don't blink an eye. It's really crazy. You don't even think about it. And here's, here's a little secret that we reveal in the commentary for the disc, if you haven't already listened. I told you a second ago the script was 59 pages. Yeah. Well, halfway through the production, Bob, the, my friend who was going to distribute the movie, said that... Um, so how long is the movie going to be? Oh, I, I don't know. It's just it's going to be as long as it is. Here, we got a 59-page script. We're just going to tell the story, and if it's it's as long as it ends up being, he goes, no, I need I need 75 minutes. I have it has to be 75 minutes minimum. So, hmm, okay, that's a dilemma. Let me see what to do. Therefore, the extended staring scenes were born. <laughs> oh, nice. Hey, you got to do what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, and then we extended the operation. You know, two or three extra minutes longer than it really needed to be, but I think it works wonderfully. Um, so yeah, we added that extra fifteen minutes with just those long pauses, and it became became part of the style of the film. I don't. Maybe one or two reviewers have commented that the delays, the, the pauses like that, are painful, but everyone else really gets the joke. Oh yeah, the, it, it, watching the movie it. It, it takes a couple moments to get to the joke, like get the joke clicking in your brain. But as soon as it does, you're you're ready for the ride. Yeah, yeah. And one of the it conjoined was one of my the local premiere in Houston for conjoined took place after it had screened at a couple of uh, festivals, and we really weren't telling people what it was. You know, it, you know, if you look at it online, if you look at the images we shared, it looks like a, a low budget horror film. Well, we did, we did a Houston screening, the premiere. Uh, local community college hosted it. We let people come see it for free, and nobody really knew what they were getting into. But you, people were just, the laughter was so great. I think people loved it so much and were embarrassed that they liked it as much as they did. You know, I sat, they intentionally sat behind my mom, who came to the 
screening. And think about showing that movie to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> she had no idea what she was seeing, but my mom could not sit still. She was laughing so hard. And then she afterwards she was admitted she was embarrassed that she enjoyed it that much. She's like, I can't believe that that was just incredibly funny and I'm embarrassed, you know, because it was it's not something you'd brag about to your mom. <laughs> Some of the content. <laughs> That's awesome though. Um, no, it was really, really rewarding and validating. Um, um yeah. that way. And uh, speaking of rewarding, uh, recently you just finished up a Kickstarter with some movies. That getting a, a video game tie-in for a movie is like a brass ring. You got a very interesting uh, video game tie-in to conjoin. You want to tell us a little bit about yes, that? I would love to. Um, growing up, my first, the first career, the career I thought I was going to have, the career that I really wanted was that of a, a video game designer. Because I grew up with the Atari 2600 and arcades that had Space Invaders and Pac-Man, and that's what I wanted to do. You didn't have, I didn't have the guidance to tell me how to accomplish that, like the kids do now that want to design video games. So I just played, I drew games on paper, and it kind of, that, that went away. Um, I had a, a health scare a few years ago, and I thought, okay, this is, this is a bucket list thing now. How can I make this video game designer thing actually become a reality? So um, I reached out to... I posted on a forum at uh, on a website called AtariAge.com and posted my intent, my uh, that I was looking for a programmer that would help me make some Atari 2600 games based on my film Dead of Night, Dead of Night with a K. I got laughed at, I got mocked, just like I expected, because I, I went into it knowing that if someone came to me and said, "Hey, I got a story idea." Will you help me write it? Will you help me make this movie? I would go, you know what? Why should I help you? I've got a dozen ideas myself that I'll never get to. So I knew that's the thing. I was going to get that same reaction from these programmers, and I did. But one programmer stepped up. His name is Jason Santusi. He stepped up and said, tell me what, tell me what you're going, what's on your mind. And I pitched it to him, and he, he got on board. And a few months later, we had a game for Dead of Night. Then we moved on and did one for a quick one for Laughing Boy, which hasn't been released yet. And then we did Conjoined. So Conjoined is actually our third uh, Atari 2600 game based on one of my films. That's awesome. Um, yeah, thanks. So yeah. we ran this Kickstarter to sell the limited edition. And the reason I did Kickstarter, I could have sold them all just on Atari Age and the forums and people would have bought them and it would, I would have sold out just as quickly. But the reason I chose Kickstarter was to make it a public thing. So people that aren't into video games, maybe like you're, that aren't into old games like that, can just see how cool that the concept is to make a game based on a film, but on an old console. And it's just, it's so... Of course, it's not a real lucrative thing. It's not. It's not about the money. It's about it existing and it being a marketing tool. And a lot more people know about Conjoined and the other films because these games exist now. Yeah, I caught the so, tail end of the Kickstarter, and I saw like when I saw that you're making Atari games, I was like, that is freaking brilliant. It, I love it. I just I love the idea that I love that Jason trusted me because he could have easily just laughed me off like any any of the other people did. But he, he 
he stuck with me. He he believed in me, and um, he helped me. He helped me make that childhood dream come true. So that's the most rewarding thing, right there, is the eleven year old me finally got to do what he he wanted to do. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. We're continuing. It's not going to stop. He's going to. I think our relationship is good, and we're going to make a a game for every film that I do from here on out. That's the intention. And speaking of the other films that you've done, um, you've worked in uh, many genres from your uh, career and everything. Is there a particular genre you prefer more than others, or do you want to kind of keep the base wide? I love comedy, um, and I love horror. I really love the combination of both. You know, when it when it's when it's done well, you have Evil Dead. You get Evil Dead twos. Um, the thing I like about horror is. If you miss the mark, you still have a film that people might enjoy for maybe the wrong reasons, but you got good horror films, but people love their bad horror films just as much. That's The horror becomes, becomes safe, in my mind, a safe genre, because if it's successful and it's great, but if you fail as a filmmaker, it could still be great, you know? Yeah. Um, comedy is really where my heart's at. But I know how hard that is as an independent filmmaker. You really can't do much with a comedy without a a, a known name in it. You know, that's the lesson I learned with my first film, Laughing Boy. Is I thought the film was funny; people seemed to like it. But distributors would tell me, "You don't have anyone in it. There's we cannot sell this in the foreign market because comedy people's taste is different around the world. Horror is pretty universal, but comedy can be very specific." To the country, you know. Yeah. What America finds funny, France might not find funny. You know, France is real big on Jerry Lewis, but yeah, he was popular here, but not like he was over there. You know. And how does my how does my sense of humor translate in Japan or China? It, it's really it's really hard if you want to do independent films that are comedies. That's very true. But horror, horror, and horror. You have a villain. You have people that are scared of the villain, and that's universal. But I really feel I'm, I'm smart smart to um, keep my uh, not become very genre specific I just I want to I want to work on films that are good I want to tell a good story whether the next one's a drama as long as I'm in love with the story myself I'm going to want to do it so I don't necessarily see myself as strictly a horror filmmaker or strictly a comedy filmmaker I just want to be a filmmaker a versatile filmmaker no, I want people to think well, you give that script to Joe, he's going to know what to do with it. Whether it's a comedy, a horror, a drama, whatever it might be. Yeah, so basically you want to be a storyteller. You want you want to get the want proper to, story out. Yes, yes. I want, to, I want to tell stories that I believe in. And so far, so good. I've, I've believed in every story that I've told. That's, that's a good way to build a career. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I see filmmakers that have becoming very successful for doing one thing and if that's the way it works out for me in the end I'll still be very happy with that if someone if someone said you're really good at horror that's what we're going to keep hiring you to do that I think I'd be cool with that can't argue that <laughs> because you know also you got to make a living and I'll you know I've, recently I've had a conversation with a couple of different actors about stereotyping and it's Actors and I think filmmakers too. It's much easier to break stereotypes now than it was in the '60s, '70s, maybe even the '80s. You know, you think about actors like Bob Denver, who was a Gilligan. He was really—he never was able to really break that image. 
But now it's a much different world. It's much easier to break that image to do something like that or become famous for one thing and then people will still see you as something else. Definitely. Like Daniel, it, was, it was talking about Daniel Radcliffe and his career choices. He could have he could have easily got stuck as being Harry Potter for the rest of his life. And, and he will be. But he's done such good work after that that he's really fought off that stereotype. Well, that's very true. And uh, the mediums and the technology and everything can spread uh, roles and uh, personalities so far now. Uh, Joe, honestly, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, before uh, we wrap everything up, uh, do you have any other uh, projects or anything that's coming down the pipe that you w- would want our listeners to know about? Sure. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we have a Dead of Night uh, video game that is going to become more widely available once I get all the conjoined Kickstarter games out. Once I get the conjoined games out, we're going to launch the Kickstarter for Dead of Night. Um, a couple of cartridges are available out in the world, but we're going to do the big push for that. And Lars the Emo Kid is the film that I'm finishing up right now, which should be released sometime this year. I just I'm finishing authoring the Blu-ray and going to look into VOD. So maybe in two or three months, Lars the Emo Kid will be out. Yeah, I've seen your post on uh, Facebook for Lars, and I'm very interested in this one. I'm really happy with this film. I mean, honestly, if this was it for me, if someone said once Lars is out, that's all you can do, you'll never make another film, part of me would be okay with that because it's a really good film and I think it will will actually help people. If, if, when you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about, but it deals with, even though it's a comedy, it deals with really serious subjects like drug use, uh, depression, bullying, suicide, and the people we've, the, we've seen it, we've shown it to a few hundred people now, and the response I get is really, really, really good. It makes me really proud of the film. Um, one person went so far as to say, Joe, this movie could possibly save somebody's life. You know, if they're struggling with those issues, they're going to see this, and they're going to walk out knowing there's hope for them. Yeah. And it's, and my favorite thing about it is that it's not a preachy movie. The message is there if you want to hear it. If you just want to be entertained, you're just going to be entertained. There's, it doesn't tell anyone they're right or wrong. It lets you judge for yourself. Yeah, that's an amazing way to do a film and something with that type of subject matter to not jam it down people's throats is the best way to do it. Oh, no, yeah. It's, I, think, I think the teenagers that watch it are going to get it and they're going to appreciate it and they're going to listen. Because we're not telling them, it's not a lesson, you know. There's yeah. no preaching, there's no, oh, you're bad if you do this. It's like, no, if you make this decision, just make sure it's the right decision for you. Exactly. So, um, to uh, give you uh, our final question, oh yeah, before I jump into our final question, uh, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me at, uh, on Facebook, Joe Grisafi, my last name is spelled G-R-I-S as in Sam. A, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, I. Facebook.com slash Joe Grisafi. It's at Joe Grisafi on Twitter, at Joe Grisafi on Instagram. I try to use my actual name as my ID for all of the sites. So that's how you find me. And now, now as I was really excited to ask this question, 
uh, Joe Grisafi, uh, Nowhere California, has a particular end question we like to end every interview with, so we're going to pose it to okay. you. Joe, what is your favorite what-the-fuck movie moment? My favorite what-the-fuck movie moment? Oh, my gosh. I wish I had a chance to think about that beforehand. I, I know it, and I may have to tweet you to get back to you, but uh, one of my favorite scenes that's all been on my mind lately, and I had a discussion about this last night, is uh, it's not really a what-the-fuck moment, but it's like, oh, that's so great, I want to do something like that moment. It's um, the tiny conference room scene and Attack from the Killer Tomatoes. Oh, that is an awesome scene. <laughs> you familiar with it? Yes, I am. <laughs> um, I'm sure if I think of some what-the-fuck movie or what-the-fuck moment in a film, I'll come up with some something really bizarre. But nothing comes to mind off the top of my head. So if I, if I do think of that, I'll certainly tweet you. Oh, definitely. And I, I, I definitely would guarantee this isn't the last time we're going to talk. So I'll probably be asking you that question a lot in the and near now, future. And now I'm going to think about it, too. I'm going to think about, oh, because I know it's there. I know it's there. <laughs> but there, there's probably so many, too. Um, yeah, but that's such a great question. Oh, it's, our, it's one of our favorites. <laughs> uh, once again, thank you so much for talking with us, Joe. Joshua, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to talking to you again.